Today is April 27th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekochi Chestokom Aki. Hi, my name is a Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border, the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, composed of the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Dene from the Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot. I was born here in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My dad is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Clinchotine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk the red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress, after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area as well. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to the previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give, but like to listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I'd like to give a quick shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. So today we had to have an emergency COVID-19 podcast uh, because we have a special guest coming up who um, is one of the leading voices in anti-racism here in Alberta. Um, as of today, so today is uh, the 27th of April, we have another 216 new cases, which brings Alberta's caseload up to 4,696 cases. We have 87 people in the hospital with 20 of them in ICU. And we have two more fatalities in the last 24 hours, adding up to 75 lives lost. Um, there's been four new cases in people experiencing homelessness. 
and they're investigating to see what the exposure and and try to limit the spread. But I think for most people who listen to the podcast know that a lot of the homelessness uh, here locally is a result of, well, all across the nation is as a result of uh, lack of mental health supports and the intergenerational trauma imposed by poor government policy through Indian residential schools in the 60s scoop and, um, you know, ongoing traumas that were Indigenous regularly face. Uh, homeless Albertans do not have the same access to, um, you know, hand washing and hand sanitizer and clean water like everybody else does. So this is a, a real real issue. Apparently, they've been doing some testing, uh, symptomatic and asymptomatic people uh, by consent. But we also have uh, outside of Calgary, now we're going to move over to uh, Bearspaw First Nation, where we now have 13 cases. And I'm going to give you a quote from uh, Chief Darcy Dixon. And he said, although this news may seem disheartening, the fact remains that our nations have done an amazing job of limiting the spread of COVID-19 through our committee, our communities. So, you know, I, I, uh, I think it's really critical because um, First Nations don't necessarily have the same access to healthcare. that we uh, face extreme racial bias in the communities. And then on top of that, uh, we also have the issue of migrant rights and the lack of rights for migrants, which we can see long before Jason Kenney um, was premier, but also him as an immigration minister where he tweaked that program, I would argue, to the negative. And um, actually, I'm going to let Bashir uh, talk a bit about that as well in our upcoming interview. Um, Yesterday, the CBC finally did an article after Bashir really called out the white mainstream media and, uh, you know, has finally been given kind of the mic to talk about these issues. And um, the CBC did, a, as Bashir said, a, a more of a migrant-centered interview. And the result is we actually got to hear some Filipinos speaking for themselves, including one of my favorite people, uh, Cesar Gala. So I shared that article, and I I did so with the preamble that I'm I'm always disappointed to read comments that dismiss the clear power dynamic when speaking about workers to employers, citizens versus temporary foreign workers, and then dismissing racism by folks that don't experience it. Uh, all the workers at these plants, to all of them, the employers failed you. The voters that vote in the government that does not address these workplace and citizen rights issue failed you. I know firsthand how awful it is to read racism, comments on issues that people don't understand, and how poor government policy affects all of us as, as a Dene woman. I'm speaking for myself. Um, I wanted to say that I my thoughts and prayers are with those that are sick and in mourning. Uh, you deserve all the respect in the world. Our family, we identify as meat eaters, so the work that they do helps my family and and myself with that substance. And I'm I'm grateful for the work that they do. I want to amplify Caesar Gala's words and stand with that community. Um, and I, I also shared a quote, and this quote is from girlboss.com, Gaslighting at Work, and it said, Talking heads and politician pundits routinely comment that we are being gaslit by politicians who do the wrong thing, but then claim we're in the wrong, because there's been so much victim blaming, uh, both by Dr. Dina Hinshaw and the government on what is happening with at the Cargill uh, plant center. So we're going to... Uh, 
enter this interview that I was lucky enough to get Brashear with and go from there. Computer. So it's wonderful to finally meet you. Um, my name is Michelle Robinson, but I do a podcast called Native Calgarian. And I'm just honored to finally meet you and talk to you a bit about uh, racism in Alberta. But very specifically, you put out just such a great article about the racism that we're seeing down, especially on the uh, Filipino community down south. Mm. Now, I was just wondering, um, you know, what made you decide to write about it and how? what was even the process of getting in the media like for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think to get some context, the reason why I focus so much on the story is because growing up, my dad actually worked at the JB, or he, he worked at the meatpacking plant in Brooks. So uh, yeah, so I was closely following the outbreaks. And the thing that I guess shocked me about the outbreaks was the scale. Uh, there, so, so there's a few like big stats, for example, uh, the two, the outbreaks at the two plants actually have more cases than all of Edmonton. Um, 26% of cases in Alberta are actually in meat packing plants, but also continuing care facilities. So places that have very similar demographics of workers. So the reason why I was, um, I guess, motivated to wade into this was because of that personal connection, but also because of the scale of this. Um, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of, I guess, what uh, motivated me to, I guess, initially write about it. Um, to be honest, I was a little nervous um, because um, I was kind of going a little bit against the grain because, you know, it's very easy to, I guess, critique the UCP and, and, uh, and, and, and their decisions. But I, I kind of went a step further and I critiqued, um, I, I critiqued uh, Dr. Hinshaw, but also the Alberta government and occupational health and safety. And the reason I did that is because um, they are the ones that participated. Sorry, just to backtrack a bit. Uh, yep. April 6th is, I think, when the first case was. Um, April 12th is when the community wrote a letter uh, requesting that the plant be shut down. Then April 18th, uh, this call happens where government medical officials basically say, no, it's safe, it's totally okay. And then April 20th is when the cargo plant uh, finally closes. So clearly a lot of people failed here and it's not only on the UCP. So I think that's in a very roundabout way, that, that's what motivated me to write about what I wrote about. I'm really glad you did. Um, I think that there needs to be a bigger spotlight. I, you know, I've personally met a lot of folks in the Northeast here who you know, are, are really great leaders, but they are really afraid to speak out against what the government is doing. And then to take it a step further and talk about, you know, from the medical perspective, yeah. here we had a green light given, and yet look what happened. So um, yeah. a, a lot of the commentary that I've seen to, um, and I should just be honest, I, I grew up with Dina, and um, and I thought, I've been talking about racism in uh, healthcare for mm. years because of my personal experience that I had trying to uh, give birth to my daughter, but then um, as an Indigenous advocate, I just see it over and over and over, the regular racism that we face. Yeah. So to see you call out uh, Alberta Health was really great because I've been trying to, you know, tell MLAs, like, we need to institute anti-racism training yeah. uh, to all public service. Our Truth and Reconciliation Commission called the Action 57 is anti-racism training and Indigenous education for all public servants, and it's not getting through. As much as people 
you know, do wonderful airy fairy conversations about reconciliation, it's not getting through and you're not seeing that substantial change and shift. Sure. I, th I think, I think the interesting thing there, and I, I think one thing that makes me a little frustrated because uh, I don't only, uh, I guess, write about this topic, I'll write about other topics like uh, historic racism in Alberta. But one interesting thing about COVID uh, is that in Canada, uh, it seems like a lot of people are taking a approach that's like racially blind or whatever, or sorry, uh, or like an approach that an approach that intentionally ignores race. Um, so if you look at the United States, for example, there there's so many cases, uh, uh, or sorry, so many articles and so many people speaking about uh, how COVID is, is impacting certain uh, communities more than other groups. While in Canada, it's much more difficult to have that conversation. I think it was in Ontario, uh, their chief medical officer actually pushed back on having race-based data. And, and, and the medical officer did that by saying that COVID does not discriminate. But, uh, and, and, and actually, thankfully, um, uh, there was a lot of pushback on that. I think the city of Toronto said that they're going to collect their own race-based stats. I don't know if the province later decided that they're going to. But if you look at Alberta, um, I think a lot of people feel that it's the same, where we, like COVID, uh, doesn't discriminate based on race or whatever. But, uh, Oh, and sorry, and, and and the problem with that is 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 that it, it allows uh, I guess officials to effectively escape criticism uh, whenever community raises concerns, um, and, and and it's and it's effectively a way to gaslight a community too, because here you have this community in Brooks uh, and 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 uh, this community of 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 workers that also uh, that also uh, that also work at the uh, uh, so, sorry, uh, sometimes I jump over my words a little bit. Um, but anyways, yeah, so, so, so you have these communities of workers and they're obviously complaining, but it's hard for them to be taken seriously because, because uh, government, healthcare, civil society, uh, even, even media, to be frank, uh, kind of pushes back and says, wait, 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 uh, you know, uh, that's just what you say. Um, there's, there's no evidence, but the fact, the, the reason there's no evidence is because they choose not to collect evidence. Uh, yeah. So, and, and I guess to like uh, uh, to 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 kind of close this. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I think a good way to summarize this point is um, if you if you look at how these outbreaks have been talked about, they've been op they've been often talked about as mistakes and mistakes where uh, uh, mistakes where we can learn from or whatever. And and the and the reason I take issue with that is because. If any other place in this province, like let's say the U of A, accounted for more cases, uh, more cases than the entire city of Edmonton, then they'd be outraged. You know, I've I've said this before, but I guarantee you that uh, I guarantee you that people would be held accountable. I guarantee you that the U of A, assuming it was open, uh, uh, um, so like assuming it's open in uh, in uh, in this example, uh, would be closed immediately. Like there, uh, there, there would be no delay. Uh, yeah. There would be no call where health officials uh, try to calm down U of A students or whatever. So, so, so it's no accident that this happened at this plant. Like, like for me, it's not simply a mistake. It's something tragic, and to be frank. Uh, something intentional because I truly believe that this could have been prevented 
if they took the concerns of workers seriously. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, for more transparency for you, um, I've been involved with the federal liberals since 2011, and I ran provincially against the UCP. And the key component to this is Jason Kenney, and that uh, federally he created, uh, you know, new policies with the temporary foreign workers program. And then yeah. when he became premier here in Alberta, just perpetuated and encouraged companies to, uh, I would argue, misuse that program. And now yeah. here we have a demographic of people like it. Uh, just to add to your point about media being complicit, I mean, for them to not illustrate the difference between somebody who has rights as a citizen compared to those who don't have a right as uh, temporary foreign workers, and then to, you know, showcase, yeah. like we have white supremacy so ingrained in our media, and for them to not never point out the fact that people of color are overrepresented and that there's racial bias. Like, I, I just can't even take it anymore. And that was part of the reason why my husband encouraged me to get the podcast going, because we are just never going to have those productive conversations through mainstream media when they are so blind to their uh, white supremacy and white privilege. So, yeah, for sure. And, 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 and that's why I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. I think something interesting is if you look at, uh, I guess, media's, um, uh, kind of response to this. Uh, you, you have you have a few columns, and one column was written by David Staples, and David Staples kind of wrote this article saying that Dr. Henshaw is not to blame; uh, she's doing her best. And and one quote kind of st uh, stuck out to me, and it was a quote Dr. Henshaw said in an interview with David Staples, and it's saying that the reason why this became much worse is because uh, of carpooling, shared housing, which is rooted in a strong ethic in Filipino culture. And to me, that that really blew my mind because it wasn't her taking responsibility for how medical officials messed up uh, right. or how government messed up. Instead, blame, and the reason why I use the word blame is because essentially what she's saying is the reason why they account for more cases than the entire city of Edmonton is because of their culture and because of how they live. There's no mention of 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 uh, of why people live in shared shared housing, uh, and there's no mention of why people carpool. In addition, there's no mention of the working conditions at the plant. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw that CBC article. I think it was yesterday or the day before, but it was uh, it was really nice to see because it was it was it was actually the first article I saw where Phil, Filipino workers were centered, and they're talking about how they're frustrated that the focus was on something they can't control versus uh, versus the working conditions uh, where uh, where, the, uh, where there is no way to, to, uh, uh, to create space where when you're working, you're physically beside someone. So to me, that really blew my mind. And I think that's where this kind of, uh, especially with this case, I think that's why I, I specifically mentioned, uh, why the health response was racist. Yeah. No, and rightfully so. I was, I was so happy you called it out. And I honestly believe that, uh, you know, the CBC and other mainstream media, they follow you and I and people like us and, and hear yeah. what we say. And they're like, oh, I guess maybe we should have a perspective like that. And so yeah. that article you, you were talking about, I shared it because I agreed it was a good article. And in there is a fellow named Cesar Gala. And actually I ran with him. Uh, so we're both the um, candidates for Calgary East. He ran for the NDP, I ran for the Liberals. and um, so he was quoted in there and I said, I would absolutely amplify his voice because uh, 
you know, he's one of the leaders in the Filipino community. And uh, I was really happy to see that article come out. But I just said, like, our government policy has failed every single person there because, you know, we're the ones that created those working conditions that you were referring to. You know, that's government policy. And, uh, and, you know, point blank, that was even done before um, our Harper's government that was still in the Chrétien days that the temporary foreign worker program was even started. And then Jason Kenney, when he became immigration minister, he tweaked it arguably worse. Um, I actually call yeah. it a slave program because I don't believe that, uh, you know, they have, they have zero rights. And we've seen, my husband and I have seen it in the energy yeah. industry, how misused um, that program is. And, you know, taking out really wonderful people. And, uh, yeah. and part of the other reason why this matters to me is that my stepmom, She's uh, Austrian and she just, like, she had her um, uh, permanent residence, the PR papers, literally for right. decades. And I told her under Harvard, get your citizenship because I don't trust this man. And, and this is why, because you see this misuse of, uh, you know, the yeah. temporary former worker program and now these working conditions that are just, and they have no health care. And that's, that's what yeah. really upsets me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, 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 and I think uh, I spoke about this earlier, but I think something important for people to understand, uh, like whoever's listening to this podcast, is that uh, like, like everything we're talking about is fully by design. Like it's no accident that the health, uh, the health outcomes of temporary foreign workers, uh, newcomers are, are much more precarious than, uh, uh, than, uh, uh, than anyone else. Um, and actually, I actually have a funny story with Kenny. Um, when I was 17, um, he actually cut health care for refugees when he was immigration minister. Uh, he, uh, he cut funding for this program called the Interim Federal Health Program. And it was really controversial. As a matter of fact, like doctors across Canada mobilized and they actually did a thing where they would interrupt cabinet ministers and actually, and actually, uh, and, and, and their goal and their goal with those interruptions, uh, 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 was essentially to force government to uh, to talk about the program uh, 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 because like their strategy was to basically hide in their office and actually not uh, n- uh, not fully address media criticism. Uh, but the funny thing was uh, it, uh, no one could get Jason Kenny. Mm. But then uh, we found out that Jason Kenny was coming to Edmonton, um, so I volunteered myself to go in and actually ask him a question. So at this point I'm 17, right? Um, I walk in. Uh, he's giving a speech. I stand up. I say, Minister Kenny, I'm a refugee. And before I could say anything else, like four guys, they grabbed me, they dragged me out. And I was actually arrested. Um, yeah, they, they said that when the guys grabbed me that I shoved one of them out of the way. So they're charging me for assault. They drove me to the police station and they actually dropped the charges because there was no proof that this happened. But, but, but this embarrassed Kenny. It actually became like this media story. It was really wild. Um, and, and the interesting thing there was then he was now forced to actually defend his cuts. And, and, and it was interesting the line he took because he said that, uh, you know, newcomers, or sorry, uh, he said re- refugees, asylum seekers, uh, were kind of this program because, because people abuse the program. Um, while that goes directly against what health officials are saying. Um, so it's interesting, uh, he eventually backed down, he eventually actually um, restored the program for some classes of refugees. And it was only a few years later where the federal court of Canada actually ruled the cuts. Uh, they actually ruled the cuts uh, cruel. Uh, they called it cruel, and uh, sorry, they called the cuts cruel and uh, cruel and 
uh, cruel and un, uh, un, sorry. Uh, something, yeah. Uh, I do uh, remember this. That's why, yeah, yeah I'm really uh, glad you brought it up because I wish yeah. I could forget these things, but I can't either. Yeah. And yeah, so, unfortunately, so, I wasn't, uh, you know, arrested by four cops, and I, I hate that you had to go through that trauma. Oh, uh, it, it, it was wild. But, but, but I, think, I think the interesting, like, moral of that story is, like, there's a very consistent history with Kenny uh, not really caring about the health outcomes of uh, – uh, of, uh, he doesn't really, there's this long history of him not really caring about the health outcomes for, uh, for, for anyone, uh, for anyone that is not Canadian. Yeah. So, so, so when we're looking at this, we should also put that into his context of, 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 of his history. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I know I'm kind of jumping around at points, but, but no, I, I hope think that makes it's sense. Really important because like as much as you and I want to talk about your one article that just came out, there's a bigger point point here where there is yeah. a long history of Jason Penny being uh, like what was a, a, a in history of showing his the way he racializes or targets racialized communities and the way he yeah. has always used his government policy to literally hurt people who's who's not Catholic and who's not uh, white basically. So I um I'm grateful that yeah. you're able to come here and you know go back and give that history and and then share your story about what happened because I think a lot of people they forget, frankly, and they'll forget before the next election. And that makes me sad because, I mean, federally and yeah. provincially, we have those examples of, you know, his 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 targeting of ethnic communities, frankly. So, yeah. so I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, for sure. Is there uh, any uh, other points that oh, you no kind of want to get out? Because I, I want to give you full, full uh, time to yeah. see what you need to say. Yeah. So, so I guess like uh, I, 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 so, so I guess one thing I would like to close on is that uh, it's obviously uh, a very negative situation uh, that that so many of these workers are in. I am optimistic that um, I'm, I'm hopeful that things will eventually work out for them. But, but I think looking at this from a larger context, uh, if there's any takeaway, I'm hoping that health officials, government, truly understand how COVID will impact some communities um, uh, much, uh, much, much more. Uh, and, 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 and I think moving forward, um, in terms of practical things we can do, um, we have to collect uh, race-based data. Um, and we also have to listen to workers. When, when they're spending weeks talking about their concerns, we, we have to do much more uh, we have to do much more than have video inspectors, uh, you know, review videos. You know, they have to be there on the ground. Um, yeah. and, and at the end of the day, all this is based on the principle that the first step of solving a problem is, uh, the first step of solving a problem uh, uh, is, uh, the first step of solving a problem uh, is by recognizing that there is the problem. Yeah. And, 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 and if we keep deciding to put our heads in the ground, then at the end of the day, workers, racialized people, they, uh, they, they in my opinion, uh, are, uh, are going to be the ones uh, uh, who are hurt most by this. Yeah, they suffer yeah. the biggest consequences. And I, I, I don't know how people sleep at night 
I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. Oh, I have another question I wanted to ask you because uh, mm. I know everybody wants to hear from you. And I wanted to ask you, you know, you're on Twitter. Will you ever come on to Facebook or other medium? Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, t- Twitter is kind of funny because it just kind of blew up by accident. Like I never realized that it would grow into this huge thing. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe I'm not sure. Uh, right now, I'm not sure if people know, uh, but I'm actually uh, working in the Navy, and my goal is to sail for a few years, uh, and and I want to do that so that I can learn how to sail, but also uh, eventually be able to pay for law school. So, so I think I think Twitter is something I can manage right now, yeah. <laughs> and then and then maybe later I'll like branch out to Facebook. Uh, oh, that's amazing! I actually uh, have a long history with that too. I was in Sea Cadets and I had friends who then continued on. So I have uh, friends who are commanders now of of ships and I never thought in a million years I would see a friend from, you know, Red Deer, Alberta and uh, in charge of that. And everybody made fun of us from Alberta that, you know, we would go to the puddles and and play in the water. But (laughs) you know, it's, it's funny. Yeah. A a lot of people always find it funny because, you know, I grew up in Edmonton and they're like, what, you're, you're in the Navy is in the ocean over there. So yeah, it's always fine. Yeah, it is. Well, I'm really happy to finally meet you and to be on here. And um, I want to invite you on anytime, uh, anytime you have a point that you want to get out or if you have a new article that you want to promote, you are welcome on my show anytime. And uh, yeah, I am actually kind of surprised. My husband will tell me who listens and uh, I am shocked. There's usually about 3000 downloads. So it will get out just maybe not to uh, more, probably more of an indigenous settler um, ally demographic. And that those sure. are the people we want to be talking about temporary form worker program rights and well, migrant rights and, you know, jail hmm. rights. Uh, um, well, there's so many people in prison right now that are being affected by COVID. And I think the biggest points I wanted to get out with you is that, you know, we have racism within the uh, justice committee, we have, or justice system, and then the immigration issues that we have. That we've since the beginning that we've been invaded by Britain and France. We've yeah. had them putting out these policies, whether it's against the Chinese. Whether oh, that was another thing Harper did. Um, Harper and Kenny just erased a whole bunch of immigration papers that were coming out of Pakistan and India. The first thing they did when they became uh, yeah. government, and so there's always been that targeting of racial. Um, yeah. Unity. And that's just so unfair and unjust. And I'm, I'm grateful to have you on there. And I don't have to explain racism to you, because you've experienced it firsthand. And uh, but you see uh, the huge gaps in our in our media, in our justice system, in our immigration system, all of it. So you're always welcome to come on the show and talk about whatever it is that you see happening. And I really wish you well out on the seas. For sure. Thank you. I really appreciate you having this conversation. Thank you for yeah. that. Oh, thank you. All right. And here we will. So if the COVID-19 issue wasn't enough uh, with the obvious racism that we're seeing at the Cardell plant, and now I'm very concerned about the outbreaks that are happening with the First Nations, specifically the Bear's Paw Nation. Um, as of today, as of right now, there are major floods happening in Fort McMurray. Uh, the downtown is flooded. The north part of the town site is under a boil water uh, advisory and the 6 p.m. news here in Calgary had an aerial that I'm hoping people will will see images of, 
But I wanted to point out the indigenous community is wanting to see if those toxic tailing ponds of the bitumen process had been breached. Um, I had seen Brandy Morin, one of our favorite Métis reporters here in Alberta, is working on that. So I'm hoping um, to be sharing that article shortly. Indigenous have been talking about these issues and sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their platforms and policies. If they do not recognize marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, they are, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, cutting Indigenous education, cutting uterus health choices, cutting gay-straight alliances, uh, cutting transgender rights, uh, health rights, know that your vote to that party directly Im impacts negatively marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission of the Aboriginal um, People's Report, the multiple reports about the child welfare reform, uh, violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, Two-Spirit, and Transgender. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they have zero under or business running. Um, this should be understood by all parties, our local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc., a really great article I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. I want to continue by putting cultural safety into action so that you can create a safer space for Indigenous migrants, people of colour, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2+, to speak. Look at it as first aid for the marginalised. Uh, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. You have to take action in order to make change. You need to speak out against racism. You need to ask questions with those more understanding. But I will say this because I'm getting an extreme amount of private messages from one particular person. Um, the time it takes you to ask a marginalized person, you can probably Google it and find the answer. Um, find allies, create a support system for yourself to help you advocate for culturally safe uh, approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this learning to come from Indigenous people. Take time for self-reflection. Beware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And you can go to heretohelp.bc.ca, uh, what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it to learn more. I would also um, encourage everyone to learn about internalized racism, racism or lateral violence, because that is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized people experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands, such as the Indian Act, Indian residential schools, other land clearing policies. Um, RacialEquityTools.org by Donna Bevins is a good resource. And the American Friends Service Committee has a great um, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention when you see people uh, being harassed. So make your presence known to the 
to everybody if possible. Make eye contact. Let the person being harassed know that you're there to support them. Take cues from that person. But most importantly, do what you need to do to keep your both safe. I mean, keep your bo- keep the both of you safe. Um, don't necessarily call the police without permission. Um, I can say right now is a really bad time during this COVID-19 where a lot of people are being shot and killed uh, by the police. So communities that are experiencing harassment, whether migrant, uh, Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, Indigenous, trans, immigrants, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the people being harassed. So don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety, not to incite further violence from the attacker. Don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. Teach your kids about accountability in a positive way because these people are learning it from somewhere. If you are experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's a toll-free and it's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and if you go to hopeforwellness.ca, you can also get um more of a text option. And I also want to encourage non-Indigenous to go to um, their distress centers. And I want to do a quick shout out to Indigenous listening. Um, it, it is in our best interest to be standing with our friends who do not have the same and equal rights. Because unfortunately, we can create a bigger alliance together. They can fight for our rights. We can fight for theirs. And we are seeing xenophobia. And and what that means is that we're seeing Indigenous actually being racist towards new immigrants. And uh, we need that to stop immediately, number one. When we do that, we are actually perpetuating what we've learned through colonialism. And we don't want to do that. We want to heal from that. So we want to stop that behavior right now. And we want to work on aiding our friends that are also not experiencing equal rights. And I know how frustrating it is to try to explain to new immigrants the issues that Canadians are facing. But, you know, we have lots of document, uh, document, uh, we have reports, commissions, all these things that we can give them, podcasts, books, lots of things that we can give them to encourage them. So I just wanted to put that out there for uh, all the Indigenous listening. And I, obviously violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people here in Canada, our protests, our vigils, our rights, uh, just typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism those who are gatekeepers, uh, those that survive off the status quo, and people who are also really in their trauma, and they stop people from doing the good work and depleting uh, personal resources and attacking um, those trying to do the good work. So external, internal racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. I'm sad I needed a podcast for a boundary to be heard, but here we are. I do want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. 
I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through your Austrian family and roots, and stepping up and teaching me to be a proud proud Calgarian. It is through you. I am a second-generation proud Calgarian. And I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing this show, and this being a special emergency COVID-19 show. (laughs) He's doing an extra one this week, which I'm really grateful for. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road, he has witnessed decades of racism and sexism to our child who we are blessed to learn from daily. We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My hope is that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future trying to discuss these present day issues in a way they can understand down the road. Again, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you again, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, uh, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or had many and had to quit for financial reasons, know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I would love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I want to end by giving side-eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you again for listening.